Thank you for listening to the Resources for Integrated Care podcast series, Best Practices for Implementing Enrollee Advisory Committees. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on August 31st, 2022. In this podcast, Robin Rohr, a manager for Enterprise Consumer Experience at CareSource, and Heather Reynolds, an insight lead for Enterprise Consumer Experience at CareSource, discuss CareSource's approach for enrollee advisory committees. I'm going to start by briefly talking about who CareSource is. We're a nonprofit health plan and a leader in managed care. We're a very mission-based company who focuses on members' health and well-being through innovative programs that expand truly beyond just traditional health care. We're a very fast-growing company. We have a 30-year history of serving low-income populations. Uh, we're currently in Ohio, Georgia, Indiana, Kentucky, West Virginia, and Arkansas but we have employees located all across the U.S. We have just over 2 million members spread across various health plans. We cover Medicaid, Health Insurance Marketplace, Medicare Advantage, and we have around 33,000 duly eligible members that fall under MyCare and DSNP. Over the years, we've learned a lot about what works best for establishing our councils and implementing them. I'm going to start with our approach to establishing and running them. We hold meetings regionally to ensure we're getting broad demographic representation and a variety of perspectives from members in different areas. So for example, those in a rural area may have very different perspectives on topics like access for barriers to care compared to those in a more urban area. So we feel it's very important to include different groups from different areas. We do recognize as Michaela mentioned, these are very time intensive and take a lot of work and a lot of labor. So to ease some of the administrative burden of these formats, so having a professional moderator uh, lead these meetings along with us is very helpful. And they also help with report writing. It's nice to have that third-party, non-biased perspective in writing the reports and the summaries of the meeting. Having this third-party research vendor allows CareSource to focus on what we consider to be the more value-added tasks, such as really determining uh, identifying topics, designing the discussion guides, we co-moderate the meetings along with that moderator to make sure that the topics and the things that we're really wanting to dive into and are, are addressed and also that we can answer the questions that the, the members may have. We also include care managers in with our meetings to make sure if they need additional help that, that we, from our perspective, might not be able to provide, those care managers are on hand to help, help answer questions and help members with any barriers they may be having. Then we also review and socialize the reports within CareSource at very different levels. And Heather, my teammate, will talk more about this in the next few slides after, after my piece. All of our council are held in a focus group style format, as I mentioned, and we use a, a variety of feedback mechanisms in these meetings. One of the topics we also cover is soliciting member feedback on existing or conceptual member materials. And we find that sending these materials along with the invitations to the meetings ahead of time allows the members to provide a bit more informed feedback when they're able to sit and really um, review it carefully and come up with things that you know, they may not see if they just are looking at it for the first time during the meeting. We also share those materials on screen in virtual meetings, but sending that hard copy to them ahead of time is, is proven to be very beneficial from our experience. In our in-person meetings, we sometimes use worksheets and quick surveys to keep things interesting. 
we do things like user testing. So we'll borrow laptops from our IT department so everybody gets a laptop to do things like web testing to make sure information is easy to find and it's easy to navigate for our website. We do things like live brainstorming sessions. And to keep things fun, we do interactive quizzes and gamify discussions when possible. And periodically, we also bring reps from different care source departments, such as maybe behavioral health or life services, to better educate members on some of the services available to them. So in addition to making sure the members are feeling heard and that we're taking action on their feedback, we also want to make sure they're also learning something from us, too. So that, that is really, I think, provided a lot of value for the members and the councils and helps them keep coming back each quarter. I'm going to pass it to Heather now to talk about how we analyze and integrate our feedback. Thanks, Robin. Now that Robin has really shared kind of the logistics of our meeting and how we really gather that member feedback, I'm going to share some more about how we really analyze and then, and then use member feedback from our from our advisory council. So the first step we really take, you know, after Robin mentioned, we'll, we'll go through these different exercises uh, during our council meetings. But the first step that we take post-meetings is to hold a debrief meeting or a call with our research partner to really discuss each agenda item and, and identify the key findings that, that we want to make sure are coming out in our report. And we think this is a really useful exercise. You know, we go through a lot of these meetings, so to really hone in and, and make sure we're, we're calling out the key findings is really important. Then we, we work on those detailed summary reports and we partner with our research vendors to create those. And, and although we refer to our reports as summaries, really our reports are quite comprehensive. And, and one of the things we think is really important is making sure that we put our members at the forefront of these reports. You can kind of see along the side a, a quick snippet of some of our pages. We like to include, you know, photos for, for any members that have, you know, released their photo for us to use internally, as well as we incorporate, you know, uh, member quotes and audio clips or even video clips when we're in person. And then, of course, we get signed releases from members for anyone who's comfortable with that. And then if they're not comfortable, of course, they're, they're not included. But honestly, I don't think we've had any members ever turn it down. They're, they're usually really excited that we like to give them a voice and maintain their voice and, and really use that throughout the organization so so that their their feedback is coming directly from them and then our organization can really get that member perspective and, and point of view directly from the members themselves. So that's been a really great addition to our reports. We've gotten a lot of positive feedback from that, both from members and from our organization. In addition to the kind of bulk of the report, we always make sure to include an appendix of any stimuli or materials that were covered during the meetings so that we make sure our organization, you know, people that are reading our reports have the, the right context for the discussion. And then in terms of analyzing and really pulling out those key insights, we, we like to make sure that we're consolidating the feedback that we hear from different cities. So for example, our, our dual eligibles in our MyCare population we have three meetings every quarter in three different cities, and it's really important to us that we that we consolidate themes that we're seeing from a product standpoint, you know, from a MyCare standpoint, for example, but then that we're calling out nuances that exist by market. So, for example, if there is some access to care issues that, that maybe we're seeing in Akron, but it's not as relevant in Youngstown or Cleveland, you know, it's important for us to call out those nuances in the report as well. And then lastly, from kind of identifying opportunity themes standpoint, because we, we do committees, we do advisory councils for really all of our lines of business in the organization, everything from our marketplace population to obviously you know, our dual eligibles, 
We like to also identify themes that we see at an enterprise level and really share that out with the organization as well so that we're, that we're understanding nuances by population, but also those things at a more foundational level that we can, you know, improve for all of our, all or most of our populations. Now I can talk a little bit more about how we socialize and then ultimately use the learnings from our advisory councils to really make an impact in the organization. And the first being those reports that, you know, we just talked about that are generated by our, you know, ourselves and then our research partner. We share those really on a global scale across the organization. And we do that in a few different ways. So we kind of spotlight them in quarterly consumer experience or CX team features that we have on our internal sort of intranet site, which we call MySource. So we have quarterly features on those reports that is accessible for the entire organization. We will also then, of course, directly email the reports themselves to any key stakeholders that have either given us topics to put on the advisory council agenda or that will be impacted by any discussion topics that, that occurred during that quarter. So we like to share it widely and then also, of course, target key stakeholders. And then lastly, we really save and archive, you know, publish these reports on our internal CX team website, which is also accessible via our intranet so that it's kind of continuously accessible to the organization if they need to go back and look. And then the tool that we find really useful for that sort of look back is, is what we call our repository. So we really maintain in, an, in like an Excel document a repository of the discussion topics that we've covered in each line of business, each year, each quarter. And it's organized that way, which really serves two purposes. So it allows us to track the topics that we've covered over time so that we don't get in a cycle of repeating things that we've discussed previously. And it serves as really a good reference guide or a table of contents, if you will, for us to, for us and stakeholders to easily locate the reports that contain topics of interest at any given time. The other thing that we think is really important, and honestly, it's, it's probably the most important thing about these councils, is how we ultimately use those. You know, we, we, it's really important to us that we don't use this as sort of a regulatory checkbox. They are obviously required. But we really leverage learning from our councils in all of the work that we do. And the, these qualitative insights really help us provide extra context to quantitative data that we get from our surveys. It helps us develop surveys to ensure that we're really honing in on areas of opportunity that we've identified from, from places like our advisory councils. And then ultimately, it really helps inform action planning work groups as well. So not only are we, are we taking opportunities that we've learned from councils, you know, combining that with our survey feedback, but then we also can use our advisory councils as a feedback mechanism, of course, to sort of build and track, you know, initiatives or projects as they are developed and implemented and, and allow our councils to really give feedback on them, you know, as they develop over time. And that leads us to the slide that we're seeing here, which is like finally really in terms of that integrating member feedback, you know, much like Michaela mentioned, we believe it's really important to put concepts in front of members early and not just when they're finished. That way they're really serving as our co-creators. And one of the examples you're seeing on the screen right now is a material we refer to as our benefits at a glance. And ultimately that's a, that's a material that came really start to finish from our advisory councils you know, it was in councils that we discovered that there was this really this gap of understanding and awareness of a lot of our benefits and services. And so we started working on materials to give members a, a better idea of what those benefits and services were 
ultimately this kind of comprehensive list. And we built this along with our councils over a few different quarters and then was able to, to share that back with them to say, you know, here, here is the feedback that you've given us and here's what you've really helped us build. It, you know, we think that really goes a long way, that sort of co-creation. Another example you'll see listed here is our how-to guide. That's the material that we're, we just covered in our, in our most recent Q3 meeting, and they're really helping us, again, identify opportunities for us to better communicate on some of the challenges they've expressed to us within these meetings, and, and they're helping us build that guide that helps them understand really how to get the most out of their plan. So that's a project we're really excited to, to build with them this year. But these are just a few tangible examples of how we really use Council feedback and their kind of co-creation skills to really drive change in our organization, uh, you know, all with the intent to improve our, our member experience. Honestly, one of the biggest reasons, and I think Michaela hit a bit on this as well, and, and as did previous speakers, but the meetings really are, are helpful and productive in part due to the relationships that we've built with our members over time. So we like to maintain the same kind of core group of Council meetings for about a two-year cycle give or take, to make sure that we have time to build those relationships, earn their trust, um, you know, make them feel like they're safe to really be open and honest. Uh, and then ultimately they get to, again, they get to see projects through a little bit longer so they understand that their feedback really is making change within CareSource. And then in addition, you know, we, we make ourselves available. And when I say ourselves, so like Robin and myself as, uh, you know, co-leaders of our advisory councils, Members know that if they have any issues kind of that they face or any barriers that they face through any of the typical kind of customer service channels, if they're really struggling, they can reach out to Robin and I directly at any time, and we can help overcome some of those. So again, it goes a long way in building that personal connection and building trust. And then finally, you know, we give members the opportunity to really express their concerns or frustrations or barriers and obviously we love to hear the things that they that they love about us that's going great but the point being is you know we we try not to just pack our agendas with sort of non-stop parade of questions we really give them the floor sometimes as well and, and honestly we thought this was really important especially during covid so for several of the meetings during that kind of two-year pandemic you know the, the height of it we started the meetings by just giving them time to tell us how they're doing, right? How are they coping? Are they doing okay? We, we offered a lot of tips and support for, for your mental well-being during the job as leaders of these councils is to be there to listen and to help solve their challenges. And I think our members really feel that because, you know, they, they really do get just as much out of these meetings as we do. Another part of this kind of engagement strategy for members is really showing them, again, that they have an impact and, and, and really drawing that personal connection. And one of the ways we've, uh, we have a couple of ways that we'll talk about, but one of the ways we've really kind of tried to, to prove just how valuable these council members are within our organization is actually in our main lobby of our headquarters building at CareSource in Dayton. We have a, a large, what we call our CX wall. So our consumer experience wall it features some of our council members with the message that, you know, our members are really at the heart of all that we do. And that's something we've built right into our office building. And members, you know, we shared that with members even when it was an idea. And they were so excited to hear that because, you know, they, they love knowing that they're not just that number, right? They're, they're not just showing up for a meeting. They are embedded into kind of our, our culture 
every day. And you can kind of see a snippet of that, that CX ball on the bottom of this visual. But what this visual is, is the second thing that we really like to do is at the end of the year, we have what we call a quick like year in review postcard. And we actually put this as an insert into holiday cards that we personally sign and send to each of our council members. And it's really great. We've, we've gotten so much great feedback in terms of how, how much they appreciate that, that we have those personal touches and that we're, we're demonstrating for them the, the impact that they really have on the organization. And these personal touches, they, they really go such a long way. Uh, so we've, we've talked really about, uh, you know, really set the stage for our approach to councils and kind of our general philosophy to, to those. But now I can talk a little bit to how we pivoted to really continue operating during the COVID-19 pandemic. With really the, the partnership and help and support of our research partner, we really quickly adapted all of our meetings to a virtual setting. And one thing that was important to us was, you know, knowing that not all of our members, especially in certain populations, not all of them are tech savvy, not all of them have easy access to the internet. We really try, we took steps to really make that an easier transition for all members. And we're really proud to say that during the pandemic, despite having to go virtual, we did not lose any members because of, of these technology-driven barriers. And we chose to use the Zoom platform. We, we chose that because it was, it, you know, it's very user-friendly. It doesn't require any app or download or software. And so it was also one that was a little more commonly used. Uh, we felt like it was, it was familiar, and it allowed a lot of different connectivity options. So if you did have any sort of Internet or technology barriers, at the very least, you could dial in and have a conversation with us and, and use that phone-only option. Additionally, we have troubleshooters from our research partner that are designated at every meeting to help members successfully connect. So if we're a few minutes into the meeting, we know there's members that have RSVP'd, but they're not showing yet. Those troubleshooters will reach directly out to the member and say, hey, are you having any issues? If, if so, let me help you get connected. So we think that that's a really useful resource, and, and we certainly that the troubleshooter has helped solve some of those issues in the past. Additionally, as Robin kind of mentioned earlier, so I won't, I won't discuss this too much, but we like to send materials ahead of time even when we're in person, but it became even more crucial, obviously, during the pandemic when we were not going to be in person, especially for those that have some Internet you know, issues, whether it's that they don't have access or they're just not as tech savvy or they don't prefer to be online. We still want to make sure that members had materials in front of them to walk through the discussion with us during the meeting. And what this also does is allow our members to review ahead of time, and that really contributes to providing well-informed, thoughtful feedback, and just overall makes our discussions and, and meetings much more productive. And really quickly, this is another measure we took to accommodate for the virtual meetings. We included, we created a really a detailed instruction guide on all of the different ways you, you could join via Zoom, whether it was from phone or video on a tablet or computer. And members have found this really helpful. It's just another one of the ways we wanted to get ahead of that troubleshooting piece. And members, I think, responded really well to this. And what, what was really great, actually, about the Zoom platform, which I'll mention quickly, because we heard this from several members, was that they really appreciated this guide because after getting more familiar with the platform during our meetings, they were able to then go on and, and share Zoom and have, you know, virtual meetings or calls with their family or friends. And it was really a nice tool for many of our members to now use to stay connected 
in a time during COVID where they inherently felt so disconnected. So that was kind of a great byproduct of using the Zoom platform for our COVID meetings. So finally, the last topic we want to cover is just how we try to ensure diversity and really address health equity in our councils. So as Robin mentioned, just from a general recruiting approach, we do really cast a wide net uh, geographically mapped to our meeting locations. And of course, that applied when we first started councils and, and when we have those meetings in person. We, we do cast a wide net so that we ensure we're getting, you know, a really good diverse sample of our population. And then we also will, as Robin mentioned, we can get referrals from care managers or other partners that interact with members on a face-to-face. -face. You know, they can have referrals to our council meetings as well. So we really try to, uh, again, ensure that we're getting a representative group of our population. In, in our current councils, you know, we have members that are that represent a range of race and ethnicity. We have folks that are in long-term care facilities, which, you know, adding that virtual component has been especially useful for that population. We've got folks with disabilities and those with English as a second language. So we really have a nice diverse group. And I think part of that, too, is that we try to alleviate barriers for the meeting, which I know, you know, again, Michaela and I think Lola referenced as well. We make sure that our meeting locations when we're when we are in person are accessible. So not only are they close by to our members just from a distance standpoint because of the way we recruit around those meeting locations, but they're handicapped. We also make sure that they're near public transportation. That way, if there are transportation barriers, you know, members can leverage what's available in their community or care source just as a benefit. We also always provide transportation and translation services as needed. And even honestly, when we're in person, we will offer child care because that is another barrier we know a lot of our dual eligible or especially our Medicaid population struggle with. So we have, you know, whether we're at a at a YMCA, you know, we will pay for child care during the meeting if that is a need, or we will bring child, child care to, let's say, a library if that's where our meeting is. And then we try to really help alleviate that concern for members. And then lastly, we really we collaborate a lot with our health equity director here at CareSource to ensure that we're getting feedback on topics related to health equity. So, for example, things we've talked about in the past is, uh, you know, a discussion around cultural competency of both care source and our providers, as well as any barriers that members may face due to gaps in health equity. And that could include, you know, language or community barriers, getting materials or communications in alternate formats, whether that's large text, braille, you know, things like that. Cultural sensitivity of the providers in our network. And also, you know, the ability for members to find providers that are like them, right? If they're looking, if they're a woman and they want to have a woman doctor, you know, we've had those kinds of conversations with members to really get their perceptions and, and to understand any challenges they may be facing. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare-Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models.
To learn more about current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care. You can also find resources for integrated care on LinkedIn to stay up to date with our recent products and technical assistance.